Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. And Paul, if you didn't already know, fade us, man. Just fade the hell out of us. Anything we say that is going to happen, just pick the opposite. And worst case, you'll be right 50% of the time. Best case, normal case, probably 75%. Just fade us. I mean, I think we said that at the end of our last episode. We pretty much declared it. So anyone who didn't listen at the end of our predictions when we said don't trust our predictions. Well, what are they supposed to trust? Our predictions or us when when we say that? It's a conundrum. Yeah, I mean, the, normally I would say just like don't trust. Well, I don't know. They can trust us, right? Like, especially like in the third segment predictions. today. We're just talking our third predictions. segment. Trust what we're saying about MLS rules and MLS spending. Like, trust us, but don't trust our predictions. Trust me. Don't trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, MLS playoffs round one is in the books. We are recording on Tuesday morning. Is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Um, an early show for us this week because we wanted to talk MLS playoffs and we wanted to preview the next round, which starts, of course, on Thursday. Uh, round one, like I said, in the books, FC Cincinnati went on the road, took out the fourth seeded New York Red Bulls. They advanced to play Philly on Thursday. New York City FC defeated Inter Miami pretty, pretty comfortably on Monday night at City Field, getting a 3 nothing win, ending Gonzalo Higuain's career. Montreal dispatched Orlando on Sunday up at Stad Saputo. And then in the Western Conference, FC Dallas advanced in penalties against Minnesota United at home on Monday night. Austin FC survived by the skin of their teeth in a crazy match against RSL over the weekend. That one also in penalties. Those two Texas teams will play each other in the conference semis. And then in the other semifinal, we have LAFC, which had the bye, of course, and the LA Galaxy. Little El Trafico conference semifinal matchup that will be fun that'll be on thursday night the galaxy beating nashville 1-0 to get there paul we both went three for six in our predictions but when you look back at the opening weekend of the postseason what is the one thing that really stands out to you about it you know i i think that what i find interesting in those, those first games is nycfc being what they were against miami like they were not that great this season after the coaching change and down the stretch, they, they were unimpressive. They did win three games in a row to close the regular season, but I just largely, didn't yes. think of them as like, uh, I don't want to say I didn't think of them as a contender. Cause there aren't really that many contenders. I mean, everyone's <laughs> a contender in MLS, but like the teams that you like care about, but like if they, if they start clicking again right now, yeah, they were certainly I mean, clicking last night. They can, they can go back to back. So that, that's, that's me. It's like, okay, New York is clicking again. Like this shakes up the East a little bit. This, 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 you have to recalibrate your expectations a bit. What about you? Did you have something that stood out? A few things. Um, the main one I think was Montreal and and they play good soccer up there and they were confident and they were free flowing. The chances weren't huge against an Orlando team that, that remained pretty disciplined and difficult to break down for the most part, but just the comfort that they have on the ball really stood out to me. Josh Cloak wrote a piece last week now about the success that they've had up there in Quebec this season. And one of the things, one of the paragraphs that that I keep thinking about when I think about Montreal is just how Wilfred Nancy is basically like, hold the ball. When the other, when you get the ball, don't worry about necessarily moving it super quickly. Like draw the defender into you, stay comfortable and confident on it, and then play the pass once he's pressing you. 
once he's closing you down. Uh, and you just saw that, that little deliberation to, to draw in the defender and open up space elsewhere on the field. And I thought it worked really well. Georgi Mihailovic with a big game for them in that one. Ismail Kone, I am a huge fan of his. I thought he was he was really good. Those two combining on the first goal that Kone scored and then Mihailovic scoring a penalty that I believe, if memory serves, he also drew um, with essentially the last kick of the game in stoppage time there. So that really stood out to me. NYCFC for the same reason you said. And yeah, those were kind of the main things. And then Cincinnati, the one upset pick that I got right, um, coming back against the Red Bulls, I think they're going to give Philly some real trouble on Thursday night. Curious to see how that one goes. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting with the Montreal game. I, I wrote the game story for that. I actually thought Orlando City had the better chances in the game. Like, they didn't have the better yeah. of the game, but they probably could have, should have. They missed a, They, a they missed two. the target on a couple great looks. Well, I mean, there were two two chances in the first half that I thought both of which could have resulted in goals. Maybe at least one of them should have if the decision was made, if the correct decision was made. Um yeah, was it Kara who Kara Kara who didn't square the ball to Juan, who was yeah. open in the box with an empty net? Essentially, that was so bad. And and the game changes if that happens. Um, but you know, Montreal they've they found ways to win all season long. And you're right, there was composure. And as the game went on, their confidence built more. They took more and more control of the game. And then it paid off with the goal, which I thought was just a really pretty sequence from from Montreal. It is an interesting now bracket when you look, you know, I know we're going to do this in the next segment. It's just, I just feel like there are some teams that um, the way they played in the first round added to the intrigue of what's to come in the second round. And yeah. and so, you know, I, like I thought the Galaxy, both of us, I think, had Nashville going through. Um, you know, the fact that, that the Galaxy kind of surprised in a way, at least surprised us, clearly, because we both thought that they would lose. I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised that they won. I yeah, did I mean, pick not, against them. But. We picked against them. I thought Austin, like, we we knew that game was going to be what it was, right? Like, um, but no, they were. No, Yeah, we did. <laughs> no. We kind of did. No, I did not know that RSL was going to go up 2 nothing in the first 15 minutes, go down a man later in the fir- early in the second half, and then Austin was going to have a bajillion XG and need a questionable penalty in stoppage yeah. time to get to extra time. No, I did not know it was going to go like that. Stop pretending like you did. We it's knew ridiculous. it was going to be a not easy game for Austin to win. We knew RSL was going to make it as difficult as possible. I picked RSL. Not in the, we both picked RSL. But like, I just thought, I think it speaks to Austin to, that they found a way out of that situation. Like, <sighs> I mean, they put themselves in it too. That's like, not that's been my, that is all not year my takeaway from that match. I don't know, man. They, they look, Austin That's got team. Austin got lucky. Like they sure, got lucky. but they found a way to win. They they got the win, man. Like I mean, big, big ups to Brad Stuver for what he did in the shootout. That was incredible. Saving was a great those, save. That yeah. one save that was like several handed reach back. I know, but the reach back. One yeah, no, was it, was, it was fantastic. So so he like he stood out in a major major way, and he's been good for them all season, and he was good for them last year as well. But RSL just packed it in. They were playing a 5-4-0. That's difficult to break down, but they were missing chances left and right. Rigoni, from the doorstep, literally missed the goal. Don't know how that happened. Laws of physics didn't apply. Missed a free header from six yards. Missed the target again. That's a designated player. You sign him for these moments, and he failed miserably. Another one, Driussi, he did okay. 
obviously. <laughs> but I don't know. For me, Austin, it just it was not a good performance. I thought they got very rattled. I don't. I, ex- I, I don't expected know. them to lose, Sam. I expected them. To they lose. would have. They would have lost had RSL not gotten a red card, which was so dumb. By the way, I don't know what Rubio Rubin was doing on that play. I thought he tried to pull out of the challenge. It was a little too late. He definitely clipped Stuver. But like, why? Why are you sliding there, man? You're not going to win the ball. You're on a yellow card. Don't do that. Yeah, I, I just think you know. I really. I mean, that was a game. That was a upset that I felt really good about picking. Like we, you know, just like you, you mentioned it. Yes, last show when, when we were talking about it. Like it was a very similar situation to LAFC, and I just expected like that the character of like a an expansion team would falter in that moment. And they're it not an expansion did. team; they're a second second year team. But first I, first time in the playoffs, first time in the playoffs, and 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 so like I I just think. I don't know. I, I think it sets up a pretty darn interesting game in the second round. I think they're going to beat. I think they're going to beat Dallas. But we can talk I'm trying not to go into the next round. We can talk um, more about that in a second. Um, I mean, we talked briefly about the Galaxy. They've really tightened things up. Those signings, Ricky Pouge and Gaston Brugman, have made a big difference. Like a big, big, big difference. Ricky Pouge does not defend like even a little bit. Um, but when you have a guy behind him like Brugman who does a lot of the dirty work, it can work. MLS is a league where that is still a viable strategy. It wouldn't work at a place, you know, like a Champions League club like Barcelona, perhaps. <laughs> um, but in MLS, you can be kind of that old school number 10 or he's not really a number 10, but you can be kind of more of that luxury player that's a little bit one-sided or a lot bit one-sided in his case. And he's been great attacking, been incredible. Um, so they've really clamped things down. I think that midfield battle is going to be really intriguing in El Trafico. Again, we, we'll talk more about that in the next segment. It's so hard to just like not, I know. not talk about maybe, the next matches. Maybe we shouldn't have structured the show this way. Maybe we made a giant <laughs> mistake. Um, well, let's re let's recast let's recast it then for a second. Like okay. we we've t- we've touched on every game and every result except for FC Dallas, probably because the game yes. was super boring. But like, what did you yeah. did you have a takeaway from from Dallas's um, win their penalty yeah. kick triumph over Minnesota United and yes yeah, and then pivoting from that follow up question before you've even answered the first one mm-hmm. is like how strongly do you agree or disagree with our colleague Felipe Cardenas' take that Minnesota United is like trash complete, completely underwhelming <laughs> and and meaningless uh after exiting in the first round of the playoffs this year um so i'll start with takeaways from the match i mean it was it was not a not a great game of soccer it wasn't particularly entertaining or exciting to watch i think the lasting memory from that one apart from the shootout the shootout was awesome but apart from the shootout will be the big taco i think that's that's the defining moment of that match. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jesus Ferrer's whiff. That would be second behind the giant taco. The giant taco definitely is the top. I will remember sure. that. That will live for, for a long years, time. years and years. For a long time, yes, for sure. Um, but yeah, the other part was Jesus Ferrer, and you know, I was watching that game. I was actually watching along with you and Bobby Warshaw and a few other folks on a cool platform that Bobby is sort of playing around with during the playoffs. I would encourage you guys to check it out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but, Paul, in the first half, Stu Holden was talking about how compact Minnesota was. And I was getting, like, flashbacks to three weeks ago in Dusseldorf, Germany. Because what was Jesus Ferrer doing? Dropping super deep. What was that allowing? 
Minnesota United to stay super compact, and Dallas wasn't really bothering them at that point in the game. Things changed as the match progressed. Dane Sinclair had to make a, a lot of huge saves. But yeah, I, I, watching that game, I was thinking a lot about the national team and the striker situation and Ferrero's movements. And I just, I, I don't think it'll work at the World Cup, but that's a different show. So that, that's sort of what I took away from the game. As far as Felipe's assertion, do you have the tweet up? What did he say? Uh, let me pull it up. I mean, it, it's just, you know, he was he was start he started this take on that that uh, watch along mm-hmm. um, that we were all on, and he said, "Year six and Minnesota United continues to underwhelm." I mean, I disagree with that, just in the sense of like, what are they? supposed to be that that you're underwhelmed by four straight years in the playoffs like yeah. this is a team bobby warshaw said it on the broadcast last night like uh that averages an amortized annual spend of about 3.1 million dollars a year 18th in mls that's including transfer fees so or on transfer fees essentially yeah. like when you amortize it out so they're not like a, they're not close to a big spender they're well no. below even the mid-high spenders so what are you underwhelmed by? Like I think it well, this is like a little bit of a I think it's just fatigue. They've been the same basically every season since they started making the playoffs. They get in the one year, what was it, twenty twenty, that they made that run and they had the lead in Seattle and Reynoso was balling out of control. But other than that, it's been I think one and done in every single postseason for them. Uh they have the same flaws that they've always had. Reynoso is is unbelievable and they have nobody around him basically in the attack. Fragapane can do some things. They don't have a striker. They need one badly. They've swung and missed at several now. Um, so I think that's basically where the, f- the feeling is coming from, from Felipe. And I understand it. Like when it's the same result year after year after year after year, and it's the same problems year after year after year after year, it's not that they're doing a terrible job, Paul, to your point. They're not. They're doing a fine right. job. But it's also like, okay, what do we want to be? And is this the group of people that can take us to that point? I think that's the question that Minnesota has to be asking themselves this offseason. I think they absolutely need a new striker. That's not a secret. I think they know that internally. I'm curious to see what they do. Um, But clearly, the current level is not enough. So are they going to try to change the level? Or are they just going to kind of keep puttering along and saying, this is okay, this is acceptable? And to Felipe's point, if they keep puttering along and saying, this is okay, this is acceptable... That is sort of underwhelming. I mean, it, it's it's just an interesting discussion. First of all, because you know they considering their spend, considering the hole that they had to dig themselves out of that was created in their first couple years of an expansion team. Yeah. I mean, they went to a Western Conference final, mm-hmm. right? And what was what was the? I mean, score let, let's in that just game? they're they're basically a upper middle Western Conference team. They're like the fifth or sixth best team in the West. Yeah, I would say like, like yeah, fourth, over a period somewhere time. between fourth or fifth. Yeah, on Which average, is, like it's fine. And they but- also, but so, sorry, they went to a Western Conference final. They went to a U.S. Open Cup final. So, how differently do you feel if you win one of those two games? About this well, game? yeah, you like, would feel Felipe. I would, I know, knowing him, would feel a lot differently. <laughs> right. So right? it's like, but so like, like they've been, they've been, they've gotten right well, they, there. They, twice they're not doing in the last a bad job. Years. They are not well, doing a bad. I'm job. I'm just saying, like the idea of underwhelming, you know, to me is the wrong term like you 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 know i i would say like this is right about what they should be doing considering Mm -hmm. and you're right like and i said this last night before i think maybe even before felipe was on but like this is 
this was their window. Like last year, this year, next year with Reynoso playing the way he's playing. Yeah. And and to your point, there's been a lot of the same players. Like that turnover is coming. There's probably another year before you turn it all the way over. And so my my suggestion to get Minnesota United over the top, to get them to the next level, to actually be a contender, because I don't think anyone going into this year expected them no to one contend. Takes, no one takes them seriously as a contender. And they haven't I, given much reason to do so. I thought... In my opinion, to, to to give yourself the best chance to capitalize next year on maybe one more good year of Reynoso is to trade for Joseph Martinez. Yeah. Okay. And and that, that I think, move I think they can have the more move. than one more good year with Reynoso. Sure. I'm sorry. Not one more good year of Reynoso, but you gotta look at the contract situation, add in the changeover that's gonna have to happen sure. in the roster, up and down on the depth spots. They're gonna get a couple guys back. They lost multiple starters on the back line and multiple starters in defensive midfield this year. So for them to actually end up where they did, I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good finish. Yeah, I just think t- you you made the point. I'm making the point. You're you're right. They have to know if both of us are sitting here being like, you need a number nine. They've tried like eight different guys there. Go trade for Joseph Martinez. Roll the dice because Joseph is a roll of the dice. But sometimes you need to do that in order well, to win. If a you're not going to spend ten million, then you're, everything's going to be a roll of the dice. That, that so. to me is like the number one team that should be on the phone with Carlos Bocanegra. Well. Orlando is in that mix. Well, too. yeah, that yeah. that they'll actually pick up. You know, Atlanta's not picking up for Orlando with Joseph, but like that that would be the move that I think could put them over the top because they're they're not they're they're, they're if they have a striker, this is an entirely different conversation. Yeah, I think they need a new level of like just like a percentage point more of ambition and want to and like like let's really take this thing up. And so we'll see we'll see what they do this offseason. Let's continue this though with the teams that are eliminated. Um, and sort of put a bow on their season. Salt Lake, I can't remember if we've talked about it on this show or, or elsewhere. Um, weird year for them, in my opinion. Paolo Mastroeni, incredible vibes coach, I would say. Tactics sometimes leave wanting, leave, leave fans wanting. They don't love what, what he's doing up there. I think the game against Austin on Sunday, you know, when he completely bunkered, I understood it. But they didn't have a single threat over the top, and and that made things a little bit more difficult. No one could run in behind. Anderson Julio maybe could have done that. Um, but they defended like crazy for, what, almost 70 minutes down a man. So, you know, we'll see. But the thing that was surprising and strange to me about this season for them was the level of investment or lack thereof. I think I was expecting a little bit more of that from the new ownership group. It didn't happen. They still qualified for the playoffs. They brought Savarino back. Um, he's, I think, a very good winger in this league. They have some building blocks. Demir Krylak presumably will be coming back next year. We'll see how healthy he is. I like the signings they made. Your, your, your Tico, Oviedo, and Ojeda in midfield, Brian Ojeda, the two Bryans. Um, yeah. I like I like what they did there, but they need to build a little bit further. Cordova, he showed some signs at the end of the year. I think he had eight goals in his last 15, a couple against Austin in the playoffs. Um, so maybe they have a striker. But again, I think, you know, if ownership wanted to take this first year and they only took over in January, that new group, and said, okay, let's take a step back. Let's see what we got before we pour a bunch of money into this team. All right. Well, now you, you take a step back. You've seen what you've had. You know, you have some building blocks. You have some pieces. You made the playoffs. You should have probably taken out the second seed in the first round on the road. Do you want to level up now? What is this ownership going to be? What are they going to do? TBD. But... Um, I would hope that they they push. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I, I would say what's interesting to me is over the history of this league, there have been teams that have come and gone doing well, like on no budget or very little budget. Colorado has a good year, a couple good years, and sinks back down. Philadelphia is on a really good run right now, and maybe they sustain it. Like RSL has been pretty remarkable at being consistently some level of competitive, underwhelming by Felipe standards, but competitive <laughs> otherwise. Uh, when you go to the early days, they won they won MLS Cup, so I guess that probably takes them out of the underwhelming conversation. But like they're always around; they're almost always like in it. Yeah, longer inexplicably than they be. so sometimes. Like totally, like it's incredible. But they it's ha- incredible. The one you know why they're able to do that right now in modern MLS is because they have production out of their academy. It's not yeah. so much huge, like crazy level production, but that they have depth through that. You know, even mm-hmm. like Bodie Hidalgo, it's not like he's some crazy contributor or like huge yeah. star. He's got an incredible name, but, um, yeah, but they were the first. He, but he that. comes off the bench and scores against Portland on decision day, and like is a functional piece of that team for sure. And and like that is a difference. They could be Dallas and Philly. They could get something going like that out there. They have the academy and they've done some good things with it. So we'll see. Switching to the Eastern Conference, I'll let you take the reins on your hometown team. What yeah, should we disa- make of Orlando? Disappointing for Orlando. Another team that needs a striker. I think we we certainly saw that um, in this playoff game. And they've tried. They have a DP striker out, out on the field. Doesn't know how to pass the ball to an open man. I mean, they they are also looking for a striker. Um, they had Pato. He got hurt. I mean, they've 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 been they've had some interesting attempts at solutions there. Yeah. Um, you know, this team is, is an Oscar Pereja team through and through. Um, they, they embrace being the villains. They embrace playing, (laughs) um, you know, playing mind games and, and, you know, I think the fans embrace it. The team embraces it. Oscar embraces it. And I like that. I like that they embrace it. I do too. And I think it's going to, it's going to, you know, continue to be a team that threatens. I like, you know, Facundo Torres is a good player. He stepped up in some big moments this year. Um, still a young player. Uh, I I think that you know they should be disappointed. I think this this team had more potential. You know they I I, I should be able to I should have pulled up the roster for this. They had a, a midseason signing of Torres ACL in his last game before he came to Orlando. He'll be back yeah. next year at some point presumably. I would assume that they're going to go out and try to find another striker to at least compete um, to play up top. So. I think they'll be around again next year, but I think overall, when you think about the potential of this team, the pieces that they had coming, what their expectations were at the beginning of the year, that you know they knew some of the pieces were going to come during the course of the year. They had some new signings, like they expected to do better than this. I would, I would. They say. did. They did win a trophy, Open Cup yeah. champions. Um, yeah, that's a good and, point. And they and they did sort of fall off after that. Maybe a little bit of a hangover there from that celebration. Sure. Which, and I think it, I think also like. Overall lack of depth a little bit too. Like I think yes. you know that that probably that probably hurt them. No, down when, the stretch as when well. you're looking at the playoff game and they're trailing at Montreal and you're looking at what Oscar Pereja has available to him in terms of attacking subs and it's Benji Michelle and Tesho Akinbele and you know those kinds of options. They can do some things, but you need a little bit more oomph there. And we'll yeah. see what they do. Um, Paul, I have a question for you about the New York Red Bulls. What is the yeah. point of the New York Red Bulls? There is no point to the New York Red Bulls. It's it's to produce every few years a player like Alex Mule or Tolkien Mule. to just to just give the league Tolkien a is more, good Tolkien to give the league good. a little more pizzazz a little personality some mullets some 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 mullet FC different, different hairstyles <laughs> <laughs> that's all you got I mean 
so they they come out we, they we've lose we've gone through this all the time so i know like, but like it just bears repeating because it's still the same nothing changes they they do well in the regular season credit to them i think they had another 50 point season they've made the playoffs 13 years in a row tied a lead record with that that they can break next year should they make it again um they can't play with the ball that's okay right they're gonna press they're gonna do what they need to do they got completely crap production from their designated players klamala and lukinas particularly over the second half of the season lukinas started pretty well but faded hard down the stretch and i just don't know if this brand of soccer can do it in the playoffs when things yeah. get a little bit tighter, when teams get a little bit more secure, when they're not taking as many risks, like it's failed every time thus far. We'll see with Philly, kind of right. I mean, they play I mean, a similar. Philly's style. got Philly's got more in the bag, man. My, they got my more thing in is, the bag. look at Philly. Like, if you're Red Bulls, look at Philly. What's made the difference for Philly? They have they veteran have, players. They have veterans and they have strikers who can score. Yeah, like that. Like for me, like that is the the key for Red Bull. Like, there are enough teams in the world that press consistently to find a striker who fits the system, who's going to cost you a bit more money, but who will they score tried. a ton of goals for you. They tried with Klamala. They spent some money. Eh, on that's not really trying. Let's. He was on a... He, they spent money, more money than they should have. Wasn't it? You know, I, I wrote the story when million? he came out of Celtic. He was, he was uh, a disappointment at Celtic. They were happy to offload him. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about going and getting somebody who is scoring goals for his club who will come in and score goals for you. Like Mikhail, they haven't done like that. Mikhail Ua in Philly. Yeah. Or who, before who that. Led, like, who led the Danish league in scoring. Go go get a goal scorer who runs and presses, but you know is going to give you goals. And, you know, what that that to me was like the difference of like, you know, you go back to the Jesse Marsh years. They had Bradley Wright Phillips scoring goals. Yeah. I mean, just that to me, you add that piece in. I, I don't love the idea of playing against the ball as as strictly as Red Bulls do, I just don't love it. But it, it, it can be super effective in this league because it it, it has been in the regular sets, season. Yeah, it highlights skill yeah. sets that you can find for cheap and easy in MLS. I totally get it. But you when you get to the playoffs, we talk about this all the time. Usually the big name players, the stars, these are the moments that they step up and make the difference for you. And the Red Bulls have not had a guy like that in a long time. Yeah. To put a pin on the Red Bulls, advancing a little bit in the discussion to more off the field stuff. They don't market at all in New York. You know, they're trying to do things with the Academy that took, I think a hit for a number of years. I think Struber is trying to get that, get that back online. I think he did so with some success in terms of the players that he gave time to this season. Um, but they, they don't really sell anybody. You know, Tyler Adams is the one success story in that regard, at least from a homegrown perspective. Caden Clark, we'll see. That doesn't seem super promising for now. Uh, they don't really sell anybody. They aren't trying super hard to win. I think that's fair to say compared to the other teams in MLS, including the team across town in NYCFC. And and I'm just, I'm very just confused what the end game is for the Red Bull organization here. Like, I don't know what they're trying to do. And I wonder how much longer they're interested in holding this this property. Um, maybe they'll hold on to it forever. I don't know. I would love to see an organization come in and try and do a little bit more with the overall scene here. Not that they don't try in certain ways. They do. But I would love to see that Academy Foundation and just like build on it more. Be, be a little bit more functional as an organization in general. So anyway, Paul, should we take a break? Come back, talk, talk about the conference semifinals. 
I think that's a good idea. All right, stay with us. We'll be back. Allocation disorder. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We have broken down round one of the playoffs. Now it's time to look ahead to the conference semifinals. Four games, two on Thursday night, two on Sunday. The one seeds start their playoff journeys on Thursday night. And we'll go, we'll go in chronological order here, Paul. So we'll start in Philadelphia. One seed in the East. Excellent season. Finished tied with LAFC on 67 points. Losing out on the Supporters' Shield via tiebreaker. Uh, best goal difference in the league, 72 goals for, 26 goals against. Andre Blake probably going to be goalkeeper of the year. One of their guys probably going to be defender of the year, whether that's Kai Wagner or Jacob Glesnes. I don't think Jack Elliott was was in the running there at the end. I can't remember off the top of my head. But facing an FC Cincinnati team, it's going to be a homecoming for Chris Albright and Pat Noonan and several of the players on the FCC roster who came over from Philly just last year. Um, so cool storyline there. How do you see this one playing out? Two matchups between these teams this season, one, one draw and a three, one win for Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati is the only Eastern conference team that the union failed to beat this year. So they are, they're due. Um, yeah. What I love about this game. Can I just start by saying I, I, I complain all the time that I think the storylines are lacking in MLS. This is a great storyline game. There's a lot of good storyline games in this in this uh, yeah, round excellent of round for excellent that. story yeah. round game um, storyline game. This is a great one for the reasons you you laid out there. Chris Albright, uh, Pat Noonan coming back uh, to to Philadelphia. I think there is a always an issue with these games in that it's hard to sit for as long as the Union have Cincinnati coming off the momentum. Um, I think days. that that Only that factors days. in. That factors into the early portion of this game. And so I think there is going to be an element of Philadelphia finding its rhythm through the first 15, 20 minutes. And 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 yet, I think that the structure of the way they play allows them that wiggle room. I think it gives them some chance because they're not trying to build up and knock it around and find the ways to attack. Like Their structure is set up to, to kind of be able to withstand pressure, play it long, and press the hell out of a team. And, and that's how you find your way into the game. I think that... Philadelphia wins this one. Um, I think it's going to be closer than people think. Uh, but I, I, I just I'm going to go chalk here, and I, I, I just feel like Philadelphia's been too good all year to lose at home in this one. And I, I, I just would be, I don't, I don't even want to say I'd be surprised because of the familiarity. But I'm just, I'm going with my gut here, Sam. Unbeaten at home, the Union, twelve wins, five draws in the regular season. Um, Paul, I picked the union in my bracket, so I'm, I'm going to stick with that pick, but I'm going to play some devil's advocate here. Cincinnati, there's something about this team against the union. There's something about those three attackers in particular. Those guys are firing like crazy right now. Brenner has 18 goals in his last 20 matches. Vasquez and Acosta both scored against the Red Bulls. Vasquez, of course, burning Aaron Long, beating him to a, a ball that Sergio Santos, former Union, traded this season mid-year, uh, did a really nice job of setting up. Uh, I think the Union are going to have a lot of trouble 
I think Cincinnati are going to put them on the ropes. Um, a team that that likes to press in their own way. They do leave big gaps in between the lines in the back. Um, Obi Wobodo, the defensive midfielder, he's going to have a ton of work to do in this match. I think ultimately, again, Philly will get through. I think because of Cincinnati's lack of kind of defensive rigidity. But Cincinnati's going to score. I don't know if it's going to be which one of that front three it's going to be, but it's going to be one of them at least. Um, those guys are, they're really good, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, this Philly team can score goals though. Like they can, like, this yeah, is they the can. Thing. Like you're right. Like Cincinnati is built goals. to beat you with goals, right? They're beat. They're built to like get yes. into a game where you score a lot of goals, but Philadelphia can score goals too. I will say Sam, the union, I, I loved this stat. The union ended the playoffs on a nine match home winning streak tied for the longest in a single season in club history. Mm-hmm. The previous mark, which they tied was in 2020 going into the 2020 playoffs they had the same oh, streak no. and it ended with a loss in the first round of the rev cincinnati by the way has not has lost one game since the start of june like they've tied a lot but if you get a tie and you can advance an extra time or a shootout then that's all you need and i don't know i think ultimately philly's attack will be too much for the cincinnati defense but i think since is going to take the union to the absolute brink in this game i think this is going to be kind of a classic one I mean, you talk about the goal-scoring ability of Cincinnati. Gajdag, Ure, Karanza combined for 49 goals. Only three sets of three teammates have combined for more goals in a single MLS season. This C- is going to be bet the over. Cincinnati, and- I believe, in the regular season, Vasquez, Brenner, and Acosta, 46 goals, 33 assists. So they're right there with them. And by the way, if I'm picking one, if I'm picking a trio, I'm taking Cincinnati's and I'm not looking back. Bet the over. <laughs> what is the over? Wait, we opened the show by saying fade us. Bet the over. <laughs> it's going to be 0-0. Zero, zero. Go to penalties. Um, all right, Paul. Moving on. El Trafico. Speaking of storylines. Actually, I want to stay with the storylines part of this. Is this rivalry as, as hot? Is it sizzling no. as, it, as it was what, when, when last they met in the playoffs in 2019? No. I mean, when you – like this, this rivalry – the, the, unfortunately for both of these teams, the bar was set by Zlatan, who is a pure entertainer at the highest level that the game, the sport has ever seen. Yeah. And he brought it in every game that he played of, of this rival. I mean, his MLS debut, who could forget? Incredible. I mean, incredible. And so, no, it doesn't match that. It can't. Um, okay. Fair enough. But it's another storyline game. It's still good. It is, it is rivalries. I think like... What's interesting to me is that the guy who I think, the star I think, will make the biggest difference in this game is the guy that no one was really, I don't want to say no one was talking about, but like of all the stars, like everyone, like Gareth Bale, Chiellini, it was more focused on LAFC, who they who they brought in in the mm-hmm. summer. Like to me, like Chicharito has a chance to become. Can he cool a little, it with a LeBron celebration? Sorry to cut you off. Well, I just think he can like. I don't know where his standing would be in LA Galaxy lore right now, but not high. And if he can be the guy who leads them to a win over LAFC in the playoffs, leads them to a conference final, who knows what happens from there, it would it would kind of take him up a notch. He would he cry. Had a good year. He would cry he had, in a post-game interview. There's nothing might, right? wrong with crying, man. No, there's not. But, like, I'm just saying he would. Yeah, he would cry. Okay. I like it. But, like, it is it is semi-predictable from him at this point. Um, I don't think the Galaxy are going to win this game. No. I think LAFC have too much for him. Uh, I've talked about Jose Cifuentes on this show. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, Ilya has been really good. 
that midfield battle is going to be interesting with Brugman and Puj and Delgado and, and the LAFC three. Uh, Gareth Bale, not going to start. I think that's pretty clear. But Vela, Buanga, Chicho Arango, those guys can cause serious problems. The LAFC backline sometimes can be a little bit error prone, but I think they'll be solid enough in this one. And I don't, I think just it's this one, it's going to come down to the difference makers for me. Yeah. And, well, and the Galaxy have more than they did with Chicharito and, and Puj now, but LAFC have more than they do. And Cabral and Costa, like, I'm not trusting them. Yeah. I mean, LAFC is not, did not come into the playoffs in great form. They collected 10 no. points in their final nine games of the season. No. 17 teams had more points than them in that stretch. Really? So, that's a good stat, Paul. This is not this is not a team that's flying, but the Galaxy are a much different team at home than they are on the road. Well, they've struggled. They're still struggling. I, I they've they have been very good in their home games in the playoffs specifically. They've won twenty seven of their last thirty one home playoff games. They have managed just one win in their last eight playoff away games. Yeah. So that's got to be something that you know comes into flips. play. I mean, maybe the proximity to home makes it a little bit easier. They, they can sleep in their own beds. They yeah, gotta, you're not flying fly anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. You're not flying anywhere. And, you know, we, we've mentioned a bunch of people. We, did, we have not mentioned Carlos Vela. No I player has scored him. more goals against a single opponent than Carlos Vela against the Galaxy. There's yeah, he 10, does like these games. Ten goals against the Galaxy. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think with all things considered, I think LASC is the safe bet here. Um, and, and I picked them to, to win this. Why did I pick them to lose this game to Nashville, but Nashville lost. So you picked Nashville to the conference final. Wow. Yeah. Galaxy did a really good job of slowing Hani Mukhtar in the first round game and just like not allowing him to get on the ball. Um, but LAFC have more than one focal point in attack. They have more than, more than one guy that can do you damage. And I think that'll show in this match. Moving on to Sunday, NYCFC Montreal, I think is the game that I'm most looking forward to from an aesthetic standpoint. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, two teams that like to play soccer, they can they can both play. Both scored fantastic goals in the first round. Just and some interesting for me, like team goals. There's an interesting national team theme here with Montreal. I, I really think Georgi Mihailovic has a chance to play his way onto the roster as a surprise pick for Greg Berhalter's squad if he can get Montreal deep into the playoffs. And if Luca De La Torre, he has 35 minutes total this season in La Liga, yeah. continues to not play, and Christian Rodon hasn't played for four months, and Malik Tillman has months? been way too inconsistent, whatever, it's been a long time. A couple months. You know, it's, it's um, or played very few games in a very long stretch of time due to injury and then mm-hmm. being eliminated from the playoffs by the time we get, sorry, by the time we get to Qatar. Ah, yes. Um I, I think Georgie could could play his way on if he if he pushes Montreal through the playoffs. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of picking Montreal just for the the storyline vibes of uh, roster selection. <laughs> you want to speak it into existence? Well, I just um, you know I root for stories, and I think it would be a, a cool story if if Georgie Mihalovic, who who missed out on the June window due to injury, that kind of knocked him down the down the pegs in the depth chart. And that you know that that he's able to get into a run of form that puts him back into the the contention. Yeah, I'm I'm rooting for I'm rooting for those vibes right now. I'm not as convinced that he has much of a chance. You know, there was a pretty I can't remember if this was David Goss or somebody else who put it out who spoke to Georgie 
And Georgie was basically like, yeah, Greg Berhalter called me up and was like, too little, too late. Like, sorry, man, sucks, but you're not going to be in the picture, barring something crazy. Now, is De La Torre not playing and him going off? Is that crazy enough? I guess we'll see. Um, but when I saw that quote, I read it as like, okay, this is probably not happening, given how much importance Berhalter puts on continuity and familiarity with the group and the fact that Mihalovic was called to the June camp but had to pull out because he suffered a brutal injury for him and timing-wise right before the the camp started. He hasn't been in since, I don't know, since qualifying started, since Nations League started, since I don't know if he was involved in one of those 2020 matches. He probably was, but uh, he hasn't been in a long time. So I would be pretty surprised even if he goes nuts in, in the playoffs if he gets the look. I think he should, though. Um and I think, honestly, Paul, I think he should be on the team, given how things stand right now. Look, I think, I, again, I think there are a couple guys that have, to me, worked their way into the picture based on the current situation with the pool. That normally wouldn't be. But the uniqueness of a November World Cup, the way it ends with playoffs, the way guys are playing, the way injuries have happened, I think Tim Ream should be back in the picture for the national team. Mm-hmm. He's a veteran. He's he should playing be on the well team in the too. Premier League. He should be on the team. Aaron Long's form has dipped. He's going to go up five weeks between games. Uh, I don't feel like CCV or Eric Palmer Brown or Mark McKenzie are compelling enough to say Tim Ream shouldn't be on the team when he's playing in the Premier League. I know he hasn't been involved. So that would be that. But that, again, would be a surprising kind of pick. And I think Georgie, same thing. Luca Delatore is not playing in Spain. He didn't look great in the September games. You, You need other options. And, and we're talking about a guy who's probably going to be 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th on the, on, the, on the roster, likely isn't going to be playing big minutes or important minutes. But if you need – because you don't want to take Yunus Musa off the field. Like if, yeah. if, if you can help it, Yunus Musa plays 90 minutes every game. But if Luka's not in form and Yunus Musa gets hurt, you need an option – or potentially multiple options that can play there. Mm-hmm. And and Gio Reyna is the other X factor here, but he hasn't played centrally at all for the U.S. I agree with you. Odds are against Georgie Mihaljevic being a part of the picture. But those are the two players that I think, if the situations fall the right way, that they could be on the plane to Qatar as kind of the big surprise late You don't think you wouldn't put additions. Brandon Vasquez in that group? Um, I wouldn't. But he's another, but he's another one that I think should be on the team. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. It it depends. Like right now, right now today, no, because other guys are still scoring goals. Like Pepe scoring in Holland, and mm-hmm. um, Pifak had an assist the other Sergeant, night. Like so, yeah. I think it's Sargent scoring goals. So it's a different situation for me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we talked about Jesus Ferreira earlier in the show. Uh, we don't need to revisit that territory. We can though, Paul, put a quick bow on Montreal NYCFC. We got sidetracked a little bit there. Who do you think is going to advance from that one? I I just, New York was so good the other night. Montreal, again, I thought was vulnerable. Orlando Mm could have had those goals early on. New York finishes those chances. So I'm going to take NYCFC. Uh, I like that pick. I'm going to rock with it too. Uh, Especially if Eber gets the nod as the number nine. Talis Magno is awesome, but he just, it's a different shape. Eber is a classic number nine. Magno is not really that guy. He's not as comfortable there. And I think it allows the rest of NYCFC to kind of do some big things. Uh, curious to see if Keaton Marks, Keaton Parks, excuse me, um, can go from the start in this one. I'm a big fan of his too. And you know, maybe a guy had he not suffered the health scare that he has been dealing with with blood clots, 
over the last year now. Maybe he could have been in the mix in the national team. Um, alas, he, he did suffer that. Speaking, moving on to Texas. The Texas Derby, Copa Tejas match. Dallas, Austin, in Austin. You know that place is going to be rocking. I like Austin in this one. I feel pretty confident about it, even though I thought, as I mentioned off the top, they weren't very good, in my opinion, against RSL. Uh, tell me why I'm wrong or don't. Yeah, I mean, I picked Dallas to go to MLS Cup, so I'm I'm riding with them still. They they didn't play great against Minnesota United, and yet I I do think that this team has the ability to to get into a high scoring affair with Austin if needed. I think they have guys who can score goals. They've shown that um, this season. They had they're not a very high scoring team. They're not a high scoring team, but they have guys that can score goals. Like I think you're right. On paper, in this matchup, I had them playing RSL FC Dallas, which is why I had them advancing mm-hmm. against Austin. I do not like them to win, but I'm not going back on my pick now of FC Dallas <laughs> going to MLS Cup. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to find a reason for why I think they. So you just happen. picked Austin, but you're picking Dallas. Yeah, you know how I do this. I will <laughs> yeah. claim a winner either way next week that yeah. I picked it correctly. Okay. Um, Another another national team storyline with this one. Two former USMNT assistants under Greg Berhalter squaring off. Yeah. Josh Wolf and uh, Nico. Yeah. And, um, and obviously a lot of national team ties on Dallas's roster in particular. Again, an, uh, every one of these games you're kind of watching, you know, how early are, are all these MLS guys going to be eliminated from the playoffs and play <laughs> without games? Paul's got the tweet the saved. Cup. He's ready. He's ready, ready to, to go. with it. <laughs> Um, this would be two more that would be knocked out with several weeks to go before the World Cup. Um, yeah, yeah. And Jesus Ferreira and Paul Ariola. Um, if Montreal gets knocked out, that would be 18 Canadian national team players that would be knocked out. So that's one to watch as well for our Canadian friends. Yeah, like you. Yeah, um, like me. You Sam's betcha. Canadian for those who didn't know. Um, sort of. So, sort of. Sort Canadian. of. <laughs> It's not worth explaining. <laughs> he's become more Canadian since he got his ear pier- ears pierced. And um, he's going to buy a Samuel Piet jersey for Qatar to go to a game as a fan, I hope. What, what do you mean? I already own it. Oh, I, don't need, I don't need to buy it. I already have it. No, Well, you um, have the Montreal jersey. You need to get the Canadian national uh, yeah, jersey. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Paul. Any more playoff thoughts before we transition into the final segment about MLSPA salary information? All I want to say is just remember what we said in the first segment about our predictions. But the problem is, is like we didn't pick all the same things in this one. So, well, that's up to the listeners to decide who's right. going to be more wrong. All right. Hopefully, you listen to this and you're way more confused than you than you are before you listen to this. That is my sincere desire. Stick with us. We'll confuse you some more. Allocation disorder. And we are back. I'm bringing it back to this segment because. I think Sam's going to go on a little bit of a rant here. I'm going to encourage Sam to go on a rant here, as he did on Twitter. Um, the MLSPA updated their salary numbers. That means we got some numbers on the midseason acquisitions or the late season acquisitions for MLS teams. And there were some interesting numbers in here. Obviously, Insigne at $14 million, we knew that number was coming. It's a tremendous amount of money. We knew it was going to be a tremendous amount of money. We had reported that it was a tremendous amount of money. But still, $14 million, that stands out. That stands out in a league that, you know, going into this year hadn't spent more than seven and a half million dollars on anyone. That's not the case anymore. Uh, people are spending a lot more money. Um, there are a couple other guys that stood out to me salary wise, one of them being the amount of money that the Chicago Fire paid for Shakiri, who was 
not playing in France and was seeking exit. He is making $8.15 million in guaranteed compensation for the Chicago Fire, um, which is a lot of money for what he and and it just it just is is you know it's a little frustrating to see some of these numbers because the, the, this kind of sets the the floor for certain for certain levels of guys. Um, Douglas Costa, five point eight million dollars he's making for the LA Galaxy. That's uh, a bit shocking. I wonder how bad. much of that. That's bad. Is that all being paid by the Galaxy? I, I don't can't. know, but it, it's not great. I would I would assume yes. Um, Benteke, four point one eight million dollars. I would like to see him next year. After not way, coming midseason, way too early to make a judgment. Way like, too early to he make. He only played a handful of matches for a terrible, terrible team. For sure. However, but, saying that, yeah, at four point one eight million dollars, he's going to have to score like twenty five goals next year for DC United, pretty much. Um, Sam, those numbers for players: Bernadeschi at six point two six million dollars, uh, Hector Herrera at five point two five million dollars. We've gone through some of these numbers; they're big. But what stands out to you when you see the roster, when you see the the numbers release here, the salary numbers? What is the thing that really, what what upset you, Sam? It's many things upset me, Paul. Um, I'll st- they most of them center around Toronto FC, so I'll start there. This team finished second to last in the league this season. I think we all understood that they're they were a work in progress. Insigne Bernadeschi, they did not join until late in the year. They were working into fitness. They didn't play a ton of games. And to be fair to them, they they did some good things, for sure. Put up some good numbers, Bernadeschi in particular. However, this roster construction is so unbalanced and ridiculous. It's fine to pay those guys as much as you're paying them. That is more of an indictment on the MLS system, which I will talk about in a second, than it is on Toronto FC. Um, we can skip past that for the moment. But if you if you just drill down a little bit further... Insigne is on 14. Bernadeschi is on 6.25. So 20.25 between the two of those guys. Let me just put this in perspective. This is ridiculous, Paul. All but three other MLS teams have a guaranteed compensation figure lower than $20.25 million. Combined, Bernadeschi and Insigne make more money than all but three other MLS teams, excluding Toronto. 24 teams pay their entire roster less than what those two make. And if you take that to Insigne alone... He makes more than nine teams. Five of those teams made the playoffs. Two of them, Montreal and Philadelphia, finished first and second in the East and have a real good chance of making its MLS Cup. Toronto is just all over the shop with this. This roster did not make any sense. The pieces don't fit particularly well. They do still have time. They still have to put it together. It's a work in progress. I understand all of that. But when you look at the third highest paid player on their team, Domenico Crescito, the fifth highest paid player on their team, Richie Larea, you cannot have two fullbacks as your third and fifth highest paid players in MLS. That is a gross misuse of resources. No offense to either of those guys. I think they are both very talented and accomplished players. But if we're being honest, Paul, and I say this as somebody that spent time in his crappy youth soccer career playing as a fullback, you did the same. Your career was less crappy than mine was. They're not the most important players on the field. They're just not. Like, you need guys in the spine, in the attack. That's where you need to allocate resources in a closed system, a cap system like MLS. Every dollar you spend on one guy is a dollar you can't spend on another or as trade compensation. And so when you're putting $3 million almost into your two fullbacks, 
like that just shows a fundamental to me misunderstanding of how you should be allocating your resources in this league. And I think that's a big problem for Toronto moving forward. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. They have a lot of talented pieces. They need to fix the back line in a major way, the center backs mainly, um, and goalkeeper as well, because they gave up a ton of goals this year. They'll be better. I'm confident in that. I think they'll probably make the playoffs, but they have a ton of work to do. And this whole thing is just like, it's super off-putting to me. Well, what, what, it, what it showcases is the inefficiency of the system. That, that too. Yeah. You can only put high resources really, really, really into three players when you mm-hmm. talk about unlimited salary and unlimited transfer fee. And Toronto is taking that to the nth level. And, and you know, the charts that get passed around yesterday about how high spending these teams are and, oh, look how many low spending teams made the playoffs – it's they're to me they're they're essentially pointless because it's like oh how much more money did this team spend on three guys yeah. than this team spent on three guys that is the that those what those charts showcase is the inefficiency of the MLS spending system that you have to nail your three guys and it doesn't matter what you're paying them how far above the six hundred and twelve point five thousand dollars you're paying them if you get your game changing DPS correct you will have a better chance of going to the playoffs and being successful, whether they're $14 million in salary or whether they're $2 million in salary. Mm -hmm. And really, that's ultimately what decides things. And that is not an efficient way to spend money. That is not an efficient way to set up your system. And you have all these owners who are saying, like Toronto is saying, we have $40 million that we would like to spend on players. And MLS is saying, okay, well, you can only spend it on three teams, three players. And just That's to, ridiculous. Just to sort of like drill down on what Paul was saying a little bit more. Uh, Jeff Reuter put these numbers together for a story that him and I put together that will be out hopefully by the time you're listening to this show. Um, Toronto FC allocated 67.5% of their overall payroll of $32.2 million to three players. And of that 67.5%, like 63% of that was to two, to Bernadeschi and Insigne. Like, it's great that Toronto want to spend $30 million on salaries. They they went about it in a crappy way, but a lot of that is because of what Paul just said. Every team in MLS essentially has a soft salary cap of $10 million. You can go above that number through the signing of designated players who only count against the cap at 612000 no matter how much you pay them. So Toronto can pay $32 million, but $20 million of those $30 million is going to be on two or three guys. Imagine if you could take that 20 million and spread it across the entire roster. I've gone on this ramp before. I don't care. I'm going to do it again. Instead of having a $14 million player and a $6 million player for your 20 million, you could have a $4 million player and have that be your highest earner. And then you could have two $2 million players. And then you have 12 million left for the other seven. So you're, you're spending what? 1.67 or something like that on average on those seven guys. That's your top 10 right there. And then you have $10 million to spend on the next 15 guys on your roster. Instead, you're spending $20 million on two, and then you have $10 million to spend on your next 23 to 27 guys. It's very clear that the, the way of spreading it would make for a better overall quality team. You would lose some star power. Maybe. 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 I mean, and, and, Sam, by, the, and by the way, you would lose some star power, but you wouldn't have to. Toronto could still, teams like Toronto could still do it this way. If you just have a floor and a ceiling, you can still make these choices. Maybe not, you, maybe not in Senior, but like, 
but I think it changes the way you negotiate with these guys. Yes. Like if you're sitting down with Shakiri and you have $30 million to spend across 30 roster spots or whatever the ceiling is set at, you're you're not you're gonna nail down and say, look, you're making four million dollars in France right now, you're not playing. We will pay you four million for the first year since you're walking away from that team, and then we're gonna pay you three and a half, and that's all we can do. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. We'll find another player who will come for that much money. But right now you only have two or three spots and, and Shakiri saying, I'm not coming to MLS if you don't give me a raise. And you think to yourself, well, it doesn't really impact my budget at all if I pay him $8 million instead of $4 million yep. because he counts $612,500 on the cap. It doesn't so it affect does, what you can do It doesn't do affect roster. anything other than the owner's pocket. Mm-hmm. And and it changes the way you approach that negotiation. And not that people are just trying to burn their owner's money, but it changes the way you approach that negotiation. Yeah. And, and by so the way, I, the other party... If they have a decent agent, they know this too. Right. Right. So so I just think like not only I think it would save money in multiple ways. I think you'd still be able to bring decent players. I think the, the product would be better overall. There really is not a good argument not to do this. It doesn't increase ownership spend. It just changes how you spend it. There's not the, a good reason not the, to change the it. The argument period. against is that it would lessen the degree of competitive balance, which I think is true, which I think is true. It would make it less... Um, balance is the right word. The equality of opportunity would not be quite the same as it is right now in the current system. It, there would still be plenty of balance, though. As long as you're having a floor and a ceiling, you have a spending band that teams have to stay within, right? And as long as that band isn't huge, even if that band's $20 million between the floor and the ceiling, it's if it's $20 million and $40 million, you're still going to have some, some equality there. And if you have single elimination playoffs, any team's going to have a chance that 100%. can make it. Like, well, the like studies just, have shown ugh. you just have to stay within two and a half X of the higher spenders in order to be somewhat competitive, and then you get to a single elimination playoff. It really is not about... It's, it's all just so dumb, man. Like, it's so dumb, and it makes it so hard for me to take this league seriously sometimes because they're not serious about improving the level of play at the spend that they are currently at. Full stop. They're not serious about it. If they were, they would do this. They know. They know this stuff. They understand it. They just prioritize things differently. And it's really, really hard to stomach for me personally. Um, I'm still watching MLS. I still love MLS in a lot of ways. I want this league to be something big in this country because I love this sport. But it's just, man, it drives me nuts, Paul. It drives me nuts. It's the whole conceit of this stupid podcast. It's just frustrating to watch Owners who have the money and the willingness to spend it being forced to spend it in a completely inefficient way that doesn't allow them to really... They're not being forced. It's their the, choice. They could change the rules. Not, not. I don't, I don't agree. I think there are still a few owners and really one or two owners who have enough control that that's not necessarily true. And until that dynamic changes, then we're not going to see other big changes. Well, somebody should make a power play. How about that? These are all billionaires. Go for it. I don't yeah. know. It's it's wild to me, man. So that that part is is crazy as well. Some people had some questions, Paul, about Gareth Bale and the number that he popped up at uh, is two point three nine million, which of course is more than the designated player slash TAM threshold of one point six one two five million. Bale is a TAM player. Um, there are no shenanigans going on here, from what I understand. Uh, basically, the union calculates guaranteed compensation in a funky way. They include option years as guaranteed years. So they take those into account. Bale is on a 12-month guaranteed deal. 
LAFC have an option on him next summer. If they exercise that option, his salary will go up and he will have to be counted as a designated player. So basically how the union takes it is they look at the entire term of the contract. They assume that the option will be picked up and then they divide the total compensation of that entire term by the length of the term. So in Bale's case, that comes out to about $6 million over two and a half years. Um, and so when you divide that, it's $2.39 million. That's the guaranteed compensation. It doesn't mean that's what he's getting paid at this particular moment in time. That number is the max TAM salary from what I've been told. Um, that was a lot to take in. I wrote an article outlining it probably in cleaner fashion. So if you want to learn more, you know, go check that out on The Athletic. Uh, other guys that stand out, Ricky Puj, by the way, is in the same boat with his number. He's a TAM player, um, but he's at 1.7, so it's the same sort of thing. Other guys that stood out to me, you mentioned Benteke, Hector Herrera. That looks like a lot of money for him, given what he gave to Houston this year. Uh, but on the on the good side, Georgi Petrovic, 225. I don't know if that was before this. He, he did sign a new contract, so that number might be going up. Willie Agata from Sporting Kansas City, I believe eight goals and two assists since he joined midseason. He's only on 245, and that's a four-year contract. So that basically means it's a $1 million deal over four years. That looks like a very good signing for them at this point. Um, so those are a few that stood out to me in that way. But uh, yeah, man, some big changes, some big changes coming still uh, as well to this list and in, in, in the off season. So yeah, those are, those are a few. Oh, and then I'd be remiss, Paul, St. Louis. We have some data on the incoming expansion team. They of course have signed a few players, including former Borussia Dortmund goalkeeper, Roman Berkey who is the highest paid goalkeeper in MLS by basically double. Uh, he's on 1.63, according to the MLSPA. That's Max Tam. Uh, I put out on Twitter yesterday that this is why uh, <laughs> this is why it matters, having an MLS-experienced front office. They do have some in there, but Lutz Fonensteel is running the show. Um, Andre Blake is making 860 thousand a year. He's going to be the goalkeeper of the year. He's the best goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, you can have a solid MLS goalkeeper for 400000 500000 They're paying 3x that. Um, these resources matter. St. Louis gets more money than every team in the league because they're an expansion team. They get extra allocation. But this is money that they cannot spend somewhere else, and they could have gotten a decent goalkeeper at a market rate in MLS that is a million dollars or more less than what they're giving Berkey. And I just want to say, like, back in the day, we used to call it the dead zone of, like, 400 k you know, 400 to 500 K is like the area you wanted to avoid in salary. Yeah. It's not great to give out max TAM contracts. It's, it's, it's an inefficient use of that form too. So, um, you know, we've seen a couple teams do it for, for bigger name stars to try to squeeze them in. It's not an ideal way to use your TAM. It makes things a lot more difficult dumping all of that TAM on one player. Um, not, you know, MLS is so much about managing the salary cap and the budget and all these stupid buckets that they should get rid of. And, you know, when you mismanage it, when you're building your roster, your first roster, take some time to fix it. We'll see what happens here. You know, it's not even, it's not a done deal, of course. St. Louis has a lot of work left to do, and they deserve time. They haven't even played a game. They haven't finished building their roster. I'm not saying this is going to be a failure, but it absolutely breaks the norm for MLS for a guy in Berkey who did not play in his last season at Dortmund and in his previous three seasons before that, underperformed his expected goals against and was a 
average to below average keeper in the Bundesliga. So this is what they're spending their money on in a position, just like I was talking about with Toronto and the fullbacks, that you don't need to spend that much money on to be decent in MLS. So we'll see how it goes, but it's it's resources that they can't use elsewhere. Um, and, you know, that will have an impact. Berkey could be amazing. That would still be true. So I don't know. That's where I stand on this. But, uh, Paul, I don't know. We did a lot of yelling. I'm kind of tired. Okay. I wore myself out. Well, I saw it coming. Sam, you've been in a feisty mood all, all day. That's a good thing yeah. for allocation disorder. It, it really is. is. It is. Let's, um, let's, let's try to get back to this place next week when we record again. Uh, okay, I'll try. And let's try and up the energy again for our next recording in 15 minutes. We're recording a narrative podcast about the U.S. men's national team. That will be out on November 1st. Stay tuned. We'll have a lot more on that in the next couple of weeks but it's an exciting project and we are excited to share it with you guys when it comes out so stay tuned for that until then until next week enjoy the playoffs this has been allocation disorder i am sam he is paul we'll be back later